while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. Open phone lines for the rest of the show. We had Kathy Diener, Ward 3 City Council candidate on uh, to talk about her campaign. Uh, she previously was in the Ward 3 City Council. Uh, she previously was the Ward 3 City Councilor. Uh, and she is running again for Ward 3 City Council. Uh, again, I I, I uh, she, I spoke with her off the air and the, on the air seemed very nice and genuine had some uh, I think in, in, I think interesting uh, institutional experience as being on the council before and private sector experience uh, being um, you know a realtor and having experience in, in real estate and all of that which I think is an important area to know especially at a time when there's a significant amount of development projects and need for more development projects uh in the ward and in the city um, more broadly but 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program i did I, what i wanted to talk about today was i want to talk about a few things um but we'll take your calls open phone lines for whatever you want to talk about but the uh, i'd be remiss if i didn't mention that a major milestone in South Coast Rail uh, happened today. There was a, um, a, it's it's a, basically arrived. Right, the Freetown station has been fully completed. Uh, Governor Charlie Baker, along with members of the state delegation, have uh, took the train down to the free uh, down to the Freetown platform. I saw a just on the ribbon cutting. I wasn't able to make it uh, today, but I saw the ribbon cutting. There were um, a, a bunch of members of the South Coast delegation, obviously uh, Paul Schmidt and Carol Fiola, who both represent Freetown in the uh, in the state legislature. There's uh, Bill Strauss, who is the chairman of transportation. Uh, there's Chris Hendricks, was, uh, Chris Hendricks uh, from New Bedford uh, was there. Uh, Mike Rodericks, uh, who represents Freetown in the state Senate. He was there. Uh, Steve Poftak, uh, the outgoing uh, manager of the MBTA, uh, was there. And uh, Karen Polito was there, too. I, I think a big legacy project for Charlie Baker because Charlie Baker, when he first ran in 2010, was originally against uh, South Coast Rail. And then in 2014, when he ran again, and I think had come around to uh, the issues and probably had seen that his vote share in the South Coast was probably significantly impacted by the fact that he was against South Coast Rail, uh, came around to the project and I think has honestly, I think has been a great steward for it uh, and has helped make. I mean, it's been a decades long 
uh, it's been a decades long project. Uh, you know, the work of, uh, of, you know, Bill Strauss, chairman of transportation, the work of, uh, Senator Montigny and Senator Rodericks and, uh, Rep Cabral and the members of the South coast delegation. I think it's been, you know, a decades long project. And, uh, finally it's looking like it's going to pay off because a train did arrive to the South coast. It arrived, or it arrived to Freetown. Now, um, it's apparently the rail service will still rail service is expected to be in November of 2023 rail service um, for the South coast rail, even though Freetown's uh, project's been completed uh, full rail service, I believe for Freetown, New Bedford and fall river is still slated for the 24 November, I think around this time. So basically a year from now, you will be able to take the train to Boston. It seems like, um, you know, I remember talking about this issue when I first started working here, like four years ago when I was first just a contributor. And one of the very first articles I wrote is about how, um, you know, Massachusetts transit is a mess. Massachusetts has one of the Massachusetts, Boston in particular, Boston metro area has the worst traffic congestion in the in the entire country. They usually do. I think DC is up there. Um, DC is up there. Uh, New York, obviously. But a lot of those, a lot of those other major metros, New York, who, you know, has whatever, 10 million people. Houston has like 3 million people. I, I, I've been to Houston. I've, I've been on their, uh, you know, their, interstate highway and their transit system it's there's a lot more people so it can get pretty bad but it's a lot it, houston is so much more navigable than boston is a lot of that has to do with boston's you know they're not a grid they're not their streets aren't a grid it's a sort of a dated uh interstate highway system and state highway system that basically leads to a big bottlenecking up on route 24 and uh, Route 3 and all of that going up into Boston. It's basically just a big bottleneck. And so I believe the average commuter loses about, this was data from a four, uh, four years ago, but the average commuter loses about $2,900, uh, about 20, um, I'm looking up the figure right now. I had this, uh, it's about $2,900 a year and lost, uh, in lost wages from commuting up to Boston. Um, and I think that, yeah, I got it. So yeah, average commuter loses about, this is going to be big for people who want to commute up to Boston. Uh, people who want to, it'll first of all, provide job opportunities for people in the South coast that want to work in Boston. Right. Um, because, Taking the train, I think, is a lot easier. Uh, you don't have to budget as much time as you do for, for driving. You can also do a lot when you're on the train. You could sleep more if you want, or you could be more productive if you want. Do work, right? You could read. You have better ways of occupying your time. You don't have to deal with the stress of a uh, the stress of being in Boston traffic jams. I remember I had when I was uh, still a solo practice attorney and I was, I took a few cases up in Boston. Um, I would always leave as early as I could, but still managed to be just a few minutes late to court because 
you know, you have to go in rush hour traffic. It takes like two and a half to three hours. So I think it's going to provide a lot of opportunity. And I think in an area like Boston, I think that they, uh, in an area like Boston that I think the, the bringing, uh, the Boston metro area in particular, I think, loses $9 billion in lost wages an- annually um, because the MBTA, I mean, they have to bring the MBTA in a state of good repair, right? So a lot of this does have to come with MBTA overhauls. And I think that's going to be a signature issue. And I think it's going to have to be a signature issue for uh, Governor-elect Moore Healy's first term uh, and her second term if she's reelected uh, in 2028 because... Is it 2028, 2022 now, 2026, I'm sorry, 2026, because um, DMBTA, I think the uh, Boston, yeah, Boston loses about $9 billion in lost wages annually because they need to bring the MBTA in a state of good repair, but Boston's still the most congested uh, congested um, tra- uh, traffic area in the country, 2,900 in lost wages uh, of, uh, in, um, uh, per commuter per year uh, from driving up to Boston, uh, Massachusetts, you know, Massachusetts biotech industry is growing at like a 35% over the last like 10 years or so. And, you know, even though that industry is growing, Boston's becoming the life sciences hub of the world. And that's providing a lot more opportunities, even with the expansive economic growth in Boston, um, it's growing beyond what the transit system can prepare, uh, can, um, can, what the transit system can uh, can can sustain at this point. So we're going to see, I think, with South Coast Rail when it comes in next year, uh, a significant amount of economic opportunity, not just for people here, um, but more broadly, I think it's going to allow people that might be up in the Boston suburbs that want to move back down here an ability to do that while having a, um, a tenable uh, commute up to the city. Um, like I said before, I think anybody that's driven up there during rush hour knows, I mean, when I had an office, office space up there, I used to schedule my, I used to schedule my appointments accordingly with clients so that I could manage the traffic. Right. So I, you know, I'd schedule it later so I could leave at like nine o'clock. Right. It's just so I could meet my clients. I think a lot of people are, are experiencing similar problems. It was a little bit alleviated due to COVID, uh, due, during COVID, the, you know, obviously it became much more, um, it became much more navigable, but now that a lot of people are returning back to work, uh, there is still more, um, remote, there is still more remote, um, you know, uh, opportunities for work, but I think most people do are going back to the, are going back to the office and, that traffic congestion, I think, pretty quickly returned as soon as uh, people, uh, as soon as the the Commonwealth started phasing out of COVID. So, this is phase one of South Coast Rail, by the way. That's going to provide the line from uh, from New Bedford and uh, to New Bedford and Fall River, and it's going to be they project about a ninety about a ninety minute commute, I think, from either station. It does provide a, a pretty complicated route, but they're going they're going to move to phase two at a certain point. And phase two is the more desired uh, Stoughton route, the more desired Stoughton route. And the Stoughton route, uh, I, I believe, is a 77 minute, uh, a 77 minute commute up to um, 
a 77-minute uh, commute up to Boston. But there were some, I think, environmental concerns with that. I think there were some, there was some uh, financial, uh, I think there was some also financial interest against that for some reason. I think the rail went through some donors, uh, certain <laughs> certain um, high-priority donors' uh, backyards or neighborhoods through the, through the Stoughton route. But when they get the Stoughton route going, that's really going to optimize the growth in uh that's really going to optimize the growth in in for south coast rail for boston so i thought it was a really promising i thought it was really promising that to finally see the train come down to the south coast come down to freetown and we're seeing the platforms being built actually in ward three over by one set of mills uh the platforms are being built now and they should be ready by 2023 so it's a very exciting development and I- i'm looking forward to it honestly i would probably i don't go up to boston much um i you know i try to ca- catch a celtics game and all of that even though it's getting a bit more expensive but i try um i would probably go to boston more if the train were a lot closer like middleborough is okay i remember when i was uh, when I was doing a training for for court appointed attorneys up in um, up in up in Boston in the financial district, it was a decent walk away. It was about a ten minute walk from South Station, where this train was going to end up. It's going to end up in South Station. Um, it's a decent it's a decent walk, but uh, going to Middleborough, adding that extra half hour under uh, under the, my commute as opposed to really for me where I live in town, especially about a five minute commute, um, I think is really going to, uh, I think is really going to, um, optimize not just my chances going up there, but a lot of people's chances going up there. Cause I remember doing that Middleborough commute. I'd wake up early in the morning, catch the train, uh, you know, get there. I'd get the train back, but it would still be another like half hour drive. And sometimes there's traffic in that area too. You know, you got to go down 140 and all of that. It is that extra 15, 10, 10, 15 minutes per day is really going to make a significant amount of difference in a lot of people's uh, commutes. And I think you're going to really see that promise. So uh, I was really excited to see the train come down to, I was really excited to see the train come down to Freetown and um, I know there's been a lot of pessimism. This is, by the way, made possible by free, uh, New Bedford and uh, Fall River's vote on the MBTA district this fall. We talked about this. I had people on that were supportive of it, elected officials, um, organizers of groups that were in favor of it, the Rail to Boston Coalition and all of that. Um, and this is why it was important because Totten didn't have to vote. They were already an MBTA district because they bordered the town of Lakeville. But now that New Bedford and Fall River which both border the town of Freetown, our MBTA districts, Freetown, Fairhaven, and Dartmouth, I believe, because of their status as a bordering town, um, as a bordering town, uh, are given MBTA status. So it was really important, and I think it was great that the city responded, uh, both cities responded in such an overwhelmingly positive way for South Coast Rail. I believe it was like an 80-20 vote uh, in favor of making New Bedford an MVTA district. We were worried that there'd be increasing pessimism. I think the information campaign for the MBTA district wasn't really all that robust, but and it ended up being uh, pretty good. Um, it ended up being a pretty good um, uh, result, I think, to show that overwhelmingly these communities were in support. Even though if both dish, uh, both cities had voted it down, 
there would have probably the state legislature probably would have just overridden it uh, and saying, you know, we spent a $600 million on this. We're not going to just turn on it because, you know, people decided in this one election that we're not we're going to be against it. But it, I think it sends a good message to the greater Boston area, to areas um, that may want to invest in the South Coast, in the surrounding towns because of South Coast Rail, that there is an overwhelming demand for rail service, for access, not just access to Boston, but for Boston to be able to access the South Coast. And I think that's what's important. I think that was I think that I think that was a very positive thing. And again, couldn't be more encouraged. I'm sure sometime in the next year or so, there will be a similar ceremony down here in New Bedford uh, for the New Bedford station and in the Fall River station as well. Um, but, uh, you know, giving a lot of props to uh, our state delegation who, you know, got not just Governor Baker, Governor Pat, because it's been a it's been a long project. Right. Not just Governor Baker, but Governor Patrick before him. But for the state delegation who have over time, I think, expensed a great deal of political capital in service to making this a reality, knowing how important this rail service is to the city, you know, and I had uh, to just the region in general, uh, when I had somebody from transportation from Massachusetts come on, they talked about how uh, Worcester got a, tra- uh, a train uh, train service in the in the early to mid 90s. And after that, there has been a, correl- a correlative economic growth in Worcester. Worcester has seen a great deal of economic growth over the past two decades. And, uh, you know, the South Coast has definitely lagged behind in that um, because there isn't a good access to Boston. I mean, there is access to the major metro area of Providence, which is important for the South Coast. But um, Worcester has both, right? Worcester has is pretty easily assessed, you know, isn't that far from Providence and has easy Boston, uh, easier Boston access. And now that the South Coast is going to have that, I think you're going to see a lot more opportunity and a lot more development here in in this um, in those areas, in the Hicks Logan area in particular, too, where that train station is going to be built. And that's another important issue that's going to be in this Ward 3 City Council race. So 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. We're also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. I'm going to take a break and we'll be back. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Back to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus, 508-996-0500. So beyond South Coast Rail, I know um, Rep. Califriola had uh, had had uh, joked. I don't, actually, she was probably being sincere that the arrival of South Coast Rail is a much bigger event for people here than the um, uh, arrival of, of, the, of the royal family. Um, but the royal family coming was pretty notable for a few reasons. Uh, listen, I've never made a big deal out of um i've really never made a big deal out of the royal family i've never seen it as i've never understood why people make such a big deal out of the royal family but uh i don't understand why they have as much power and influence as they do i mean i understand why i just don't like it right but it doesn't change the fact that uh that they do have a significant amount of impact on world events right and so 
the royal family came to Boston, and the reason they came to Boston was to promote their uh, to have their Earthshot Awards, uh, their Earthshot Award uh, ceremony, and they thought it was the reason they did it here. So the reason they did it here was um, basically because this is what they said. The reason they did it here is because Boston, and I talked about this, I alluded to this a little bit earlier. Boston is an area in particular that um, is uh, 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 not just a national hub, but a global hub for science and innovation, right? With Harvard and MIT and BU and BC and, you know, all the life sciences industries, uh, even UMass, UMass systems, one of, if not the best uh, state university system in the entire country, even you're in still close proximity to, you know, prestigious universities like Brown, right? And they say the reason that basically, the reason that um, uh Prince William had said the reason why they chose Boston is because of that, right? And because of JFK. Now, Earthshot is a Earthshot is basically um, you know a nonprofit initiative that they have that helps fund efforts that will um, better uh, that will move forward more sustainable options to combat the global climate crisis. And the title Earthshot is a homage to JFK's moonshot, right? And uh, the Kennedy family does have some ties to Great Britain because uh, Joe Kennedy, JFK's father, was the ambassador to Great Britain under FDR. And um, JFK wrote a book called Why England Slept when he was 22 years old and a, and a student at the London School of Eco, uh, Economics. There's some speculation they didn't write it, but whatever. But it, it's a, it's an it alludes to JFK's moonshot in, uh, initiative, which he had launched in the 1960s, which was basically to put a man on the moon, right? Uh, within the next within the decade, put a man on the moon within the decade. Now he didn't live long enough, obviously, to see that through. But President Nixon did, I believe, in 1969. I think it was 1969. Yeah, I believe it was 1969. Did put a man on the moon. You'll remember Neil Armstrong and um, John Glenn, right? Um, John Glenn ended up being a senator. And, you know, you remember Chet Kennedy's speech. We choose to go to the moon and do the other things, not because they're easy, but because they're hard. Nixon actually famously... They put a plaque there and it, you know, commemorated, I think it had President Nixon's name on it, but it was seen as, I guess, petty and reflective on Nixon's character that there wasn't, that JFK's name wasn't on it because it was really JFK's conceptualization and inspiration that helped see that project uh, through. But in any event, they had the Earthshot Awards, I believe it was this past Saturday. You saw a lot of people, a lot of, you know, Massachusetts notables. I mean, the, the royal the royal family was in Boston for a few days, so I think everybody saw on the sidelines of a Celtics game. I can't remember if they were playing the Heat or not, but I think they were playing the Heat. I think it was the first game against the Heat that they won because they ended up losing against the Heat a few days later. Yeah, because it was Wednesday. I believe they were playing the Heat. They won that game, but... Maury Healy was on the sidelines with uh, with um, William and Kate Middleton and Michelle Wu was there as well. 
and then they had the Earthshot Awards. Obviously, Michelle Wu was there uh, in Boston. Uh, Maura Healy was there. Governor Charlie Baker was there. And basically, what it was is um, a $1.2 million. They uh, allocated $1.2 million to five initiatives uh, that were, again, in service to promoting sustainable practices that will help better the environment and combat the global climate uh, price, uh, crisis. There was a clean air initiative that uh, is providing clean burners. Uh, st- there's 1.2 million total in, I think, uh, grant funding, or I think it was a million pounds, right? But, you know, on their currency, the pound. Um, but it was a startup providing uh, there. So there was um, the clean air one that provided clean burning stoves to women in Kenya to reduce unhealthy indoor pollution and give them a safer way to cook. Um, there was the uh, a, a project to restore nation uh, uh, nature in India. So basically they were um, pioneering a solution for local smallholder farmers to reduce costs, increase yields, yields and protect livelihoods in a country from the, uh, on the front lines of crime, uh, climate change Um there was a Revive Our Oceans initiative that helped indigenous women uh, in Australia uh, that basically they said it combines 60,000 years of uh, knowledge um, from indigenous Australians with digital technologies to help uh, protect their land. Um, and that's an interesting one because there's a lot of debate, you know, among uh you know, there's the indigenous population is, um, I think, my understanding, particularly not fond of the is particularly not fond of the royal family. Uh, and it's because uh, they were colonized <laughs> by the royal family. They were colonized by the royal family, however many uh, hundreds of years ago. And, and actually, every uh, member of the Australian Parliament has to swear uh, a loyalty to the queen. And there's a fairly famous clip of a recent uh, indigenous person who is, uh, was an uh, in, uh, a d- indigenous Australian senator. She was an indigenous person in Australia and she had to swear her loyalty of oath to the queen. This is when the queen was still alive. So now it'd be the king, King Charles. But swear an oath to the queen. And it, she said, you know, I swear my oath, to the, instead of saying to the queen, she said, to the colonizer queen and then the person administering the oath says no you have to read the oath exactly how uh exactly how it's written otherwise you can't be sworn in and so she just sort of sarcastically um she just sort of sarcastically said i do swear my oath to the queen so that i think is interesting maybe it's some sort of olive branch to a community that they've definitely devastated over a long period of time and i don't think it makes up for it but i still think an interesting inclusion in this uh there was uh, david beckham the famous so- uh, soccer player he was awarded a grant um so it's uh basically to create an alternative plastic packaging from seaweed uh so that would make it i guess more biodegradable you know there's a lot of talk about plastics right um, and how they're, you know, there's talk about the sea turtles and how plastics are ruining the environment, et cetera. And, uh, you know, providing, because they're not biodegradable, it's providing a significant amount of waste, polluting the oceans and all of that. So this seaweed-based 
plastic packaging is, I guess, an alternative to the other plastic packaging. Um, and then there is a one by Remy Malek. Remy Malek is uh, an actor. He was known for his show, Mr. Robot. He also played Fer Freddie Mercury in that biopic about Freddie Mercury. Uh, he won an Emmy for Mr. Robot. He won a Oscar for his performance in... He won an Oscar for his performance in um, in uh, as Freddie Mercury, but uh, it's basically it's it's oh it was presented by Rain. I'm sorry, they were the, these guys were the presenters, not the not it, sorry. David Beckham was the presenter, not the um, not the person who started. This was presented by Rami Malek, but it was basically uh, a group of childhood friends who developed an innovative technique to turn CO2 into rock and permanently store it underground. Um, that's interesting. I would probably need to know, you know, how exactly uh, that, uh, you know, helps. But it seems like a very interesting development just in earth sciences in general. So those are the Earthshot Awards. They came to I thought it was worth talking about because the royal family did come to Boston to present them. And they found, again, I think the reasonings were pretty solid that Boston is obviously a hub of innovation, um, one of the world leading world leaders in science and research in general because of Harvard, MIT, MIT et cetera, and because of, you know, JFK's, you know, aspirations and Earthshot is a homage to Moonshot, which was JFK's uh, successful, although posthumously on his behalf, successful um endeavor to put a man on a, on the moon by the close uh, of the 60s which again i'm pretty sure happened in 1969 uh 1969 but you can correct me if i'm mistaken okay 508-996-0500 so we get in the program also take your messages on the wbsm app chat this is south coast tonight i'm marcus listen to us live anywhere in the world on the wbsm app the United States has the highest rate of incarceration in the world. At the Equal Justice Initiative, we believe mass incarceration has to end. There is this presumption of dangerousness and guilt that gets assigned to black and brown people. We have to confront our history of racial injustice and commit to a new era of truth. There's something better waiting for us, something that feels more like freedom. Truth can inspire change. Please learn more at EJI.org. On the battlefield, there's a saying America's military men and women live by. Never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Off the battlefield, Wounded Warrior Project operates with the same goal. We leave no warrior behind. Wounded Warrior Project is a nonprofit organization created to help our men and women returning home with the scars of war. Whether those scars are physical or mental, we're here to make sure that they heal. And whether it's helping those with post-traumatic stress disorder live a normal life again or giving much-needed support to injured warriors and veterans' hospitals. Because no one deserves our help more than the men and women who risk their lives to keep us safe. Wounded Warrior Project. We never leave a fallen warrior behind. Ever. Learn more about what we do at WoundedWarriorProject.org. On the battlefield, there's a saying America's military men and women live by. Never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Off the battlefield, Wounded Warrior Project operates with the same goal. We leave no warrior behind. 
Wounded Warrior Project is a nonprofit organization created to help our men and women returning home with the scars of war. Whether those scars are physical or mental, we're here to make sure that they heal. And whether it's helping those with post-traumatic stress disorder live a normal life again, or giving much needed support to injured warriors and veterans hospitals, because no one deserves our help more than the men and women who risk their lives to keep us safe. Wounded Warrior Project. We never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Learn more about what we do at WoundedWarriorProject.org. At Shriners Hospitals for Children, there are a million reasons to share love. My buddy Caleb is one of them. This is his story. Hi, I'm Caleb. I was born with spinal bone disease. I have broken my bones almost 200 times, and I have had 11 surgeries, but I didn't let that stop me. There are a million reasons to share love, but you only need one. To learn how you can share love, visit loveshriners.org. You don't have to stick by your radio to hear all of South Coast tonight. Stream Chris and Marcus on the WBSML or download their podcast. South Coast tonight continues now. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. Also taking messages on the WVSM app chat if you'd like to chime in on the conversation or any conversation. You know, I talked briefly about the Royals' visit to Boston. Don't have much to say beyond that unless you have uh, more to add to it. You know, they came to present some awards for climate sustainability. Uh, They went to a Celtics game. They did that, and that's it. I do want to talk a little bit later more about Biden's visit to Boston. I think that's a lot more consequential, uh, especially electorally, for uh, for um, Congress. And we'll 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 definitely talk about that a little bit more in the next hour. But one thing I did want to mention, uh, I know over the I know Jess Machado's taken um, a pretty gotten a pretty firm grasp on this story, but it's the struggle for uh a new direction for the mass gop after they've been you know pretty summarily embarrassed uh in this last 2022 i mean the national republican party has to feel pretty embarrassed based on the election results you know they've lost some pretty winnable elections but the um and they didn't get control of the senate despite it being a 50-50 tie and having very winnable races in an off uh, in a in an odd year which they're supposed to do well in but, I mean, it couldn't be more embarrassing for the GOP than what happened in um, in uh, in 2020, in 2022. Uh, you know, obviously, you lost two sheriff's races that were previously held by Republicans here in Bristol County and in Barnstable County. A DA race in Barnstable County that was held, uh, the Cape and Islands District that was previously held by a Republican for 40 years. 40 years Republicans held the um, <clears throat> the county DA's, uh, DA's office, and they lost, I think, pretty handedly, actually. The Republican lost pretty handedly in that election. So, um, so uh, there's a whole conversation about some soul-searching in the state Republican Party. There's some candidates that have emerged for chairman. That's like internal elections. There's nothing people can particularly vote on or support in general. I guess you could ask your state committee member to vote on a particular person. Um, there are, I believe, uh, 
one man and one woman state committee member uh, for the Republican Party per Senate district. Per Senate district, there's one man, one woman state Republican uh, committee member. And so, I don't know. Here's my whole thing with it. I think a guy like Jim Lyons, they want to blame everything on him. And yeah, he's definitely not been a competent leader. He's uh, been... I think pretty buffoonish in his leadership of the Republican Party, uh, especially in the areas of like sabotaging good candidates. They they were actively trying to sabotage Anthony Amore, who I mean, didn't it wasn't a close race, but it was still the closest statewide race. Um, they actively state re- sabotage a state rep race uh, in which <laughs> one of Jim Lyons, friends. I was listening to Howie. One of Jim Lyons, friends was telling people in a uh, district up in Gloucester that was held by Republicans to vote a write in candidate for Republican and the Democrat is heading to a recount is now up by 17 votes, 17 votes. Democrats up by 17 votes in this recount and there were 60 write-ins. That's a seat that was held by Republicans that will probably switch to Democrat. And part of the reason is because Lyons's group is telling people to vote a write-in in a race that they should have won and now the Democrats going to win. 60 write-ins. The Democrats up by 17 votes in a district that was long held by the Republican Party. There's another one, uh, Lenny Lenny Mira. He's a longtime uh, Republican state rep. I believe he's losing in his race, too. And that's headed to a recount. Uh, or that has been, that is in the process of being recounted. And on top of that, they lost the state rep race. They lost the state rep race on the Cape. Because Tim Whalen, who was the state rep from Brewster for a long time on the Cape, ran for sheriff, and he lost to Donna Buckley, who I had on last week. You can check out the column on her on WBSM.com. Lost to Donna Buckley. And his race, his open seat that was held by him for a long time, was a pretty well-liked guy, pretty safe bet to be reelected. His seat flipped Democrat. So they're probably going to lose three seats out of what I think was a 29-seat caucus out of 140 in the House. Uh, They weren't able to pick up any Senate seats. Anytime a Senate seat that's been held by a Republican has been open in the last few years, a Democrat has won that. You saw Sue Moran Moran win the uh, Senate race race that was vacated by Vinnie DiMacito in uh, Falmouth in Plymouth. Uh, There was another one I can't think of. That caucus just a few years ago used to be seven members, and now it's – it used to be seven members, and now it's, I think, three. They've lost five. I think it's hard to blame all that on Jim Lyons. Like, he is bad, and he definitely would need to go. I think it's – to blame all that on one guy – I think is pretty short-sighted because I think it's just like broadly the Republican party. It seems like the uh, most people in the country, I think are summarily rejecting the general platforms of the Republican party. And in Massachusetts, I think they had an opportunity for the more Baker esque type of guy in the, in the primary election on the governor's race uh, in Chris Doty versus, you know, definitely the outspoken Trump guy and Jeff deal uh, in the governor's race. And the voters went with Jeff deal, right? They went with Jeff deal. Jeff deal was outspent. Jeff deal was outspent. You had a lot of people behind him, a lot of people behind Chris Doty. I mean, a lot of people behind Chris Doty that mattered 
But, um, and it and it didn't matter. Jeff Deal won that race fairly easily. Now, you could argue Chris Doty basically ran out of time. People were just urging him to run because they thought they needed a better candidate and all of that. That's all well and good, but the fact is they didn't have that candidate in the first place. They had to urge Chris Doty to run. So, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with the Republican Party in, in, in Massachusetts not really putting forward good candidates and not having, like, a cohesive, strong policy platform. I think they're in a position right now where you have to build from the ground up. They have, uh, you know, to, to get relevance, they basically have, like, a decades-long project of really grassroots, and I know this word gets thrown around too much, grassroots coalition building you have to start with municipal races you have to start with city council select board school committee member races and build your way up and they seem woefully unequipped to do that and i think a lot of that has to do with i think a lot of people aren't um on board with the broader republican culture war stuff i think if you present the more like you know what they used to be is like the business party or whatever the more you know the fiscal conservative stuff i think that works but the broader culture war stuff you know the crt stuff and you know all the weird transgender positions and all of that i think that that's been rejected some summarily by the voters especially in massachusetts so um you know i think it's more than just jim lines i think it's the entire perspective and party platform that people seem to be just rejecting out of hand all right i'm gonna take a break i'll be right back WBS Marcus, this is South Coast tonight, 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. Chris isn't with me tonight, but he'll be back on Wednesday, uh, and we'll be here for the rest of the week. We do have, I, I think uh, we'll have a fill-in on Thursday, because I'm going to the Town Square Media Christmas party, uh, but... I think we'll have a fill-in on Thursday, but tomorrow will be here. Wednesday will be here. Friday will be here. And we've got some good guests planned throughout the week to talk about some of the big local national stuff. So I, I do want to talk about an issue in the, in the next hour that's both local and national, which is President Biden's visit to Boston. Uh, President Biden's visit to Boston. He's, he's come to Massachusetts quite a few times uh, it, since he's been elected. You know, he went to Somerset. Went to Somerset, uh, Brayton Point, for that famous climate speech. He came to Boston recent, more recently, and now he was back. And he was he was back because he want, uh basically because of the because of the Georgia Senate runoff race. Now you're asking why is Biden coming to Massachusetts for the Georgia Senate runoff? I think um, you know. There's a good reason for it, and we'll talk about uh, a little bit about that, and I'll be taking your calls uh, and app chat messages at 508-996-0500. That's how you can get in the program. The Georgia Senate runoff, again, is tomorrow, Tuesday, and while the Senate is uh, under Democratic control has basically been decided, this still does have some broader implications on how the Senate will operate, right? Which senators will have more power than others? Uh, you know, it'll come at a time when, uh, you know, Joe Man. Uh, it'll come at a time when uh, they, you know, Joe Manchin won't be able to gum everything up, but the House Republicans will because they're going to have.